Welcome to this podcast on Zimbabwe by ICH, the Institute for Continuing History. The Institute is a professional research body that investigates acts of state-sponsored or communal violence, which continue to have a major impact on the lives of individuals and nations. This series, entitled Smooth Lies and Sharp Knives, focuses on the events that led to mass killings in the Matabeleland region of Zimbabwe during 1983 and 1984. For those who are unfamiliar with the places, parties and politicians mentioned in this episode, please see the ICH website for a primer on 1980s Zimbabwe. In mid-1982, bandits abducted six foreign tourists in Matabeleland, triggering a massive manhunt by government security forces. Robert Mugabe accused his rival, Joshua Nkomo, of sponsoring this and other dissident activities. Part of a process in which Nkomo's party, ZAPU, was alleged to have transitioned from an openly defiant military formation into a poorly disguised dissident movement. It was this supposed insurgency that prompted the deployment of ZANU's anti-dissident force, the Gukurahundi, in early 1983. Yet evidence for Nkomo's involvement in the tourist kidnapping and other dissident outrages was scant, and previously unpublished documents show that the government knew it. Instead, Mugabe and his ministers were using the dissident problem as a convenient stick with which to beat Nkomo and achieve their political objectives. You are listening to a podcast from the Institute for Continuing History, written and presented by Dr. Stuart Doran. The website of the Institute for Continuing History is continuinghistory.org. On the 23rd of July 1982, a group of tourists, two Britons, two Americans and two Australians, were kidnapped by bandits on the Victoria Falls Road, 70 kilometres north of Bulawayo. The abductors left a note demanding the release of two senior members of Nkomo's military and intelligence apparatus, who had been arrested earlier in the year during the so-called arms caches crisis. Many of those who had been part of ZAPU's military wing, Zipra, had deserted the new national army in the wake of that crisis and escalating persecution within the security forces, and some had taken to a life of banditry in Matabeleland. By the time the tourists were taken, more than 5,000 soldiers had gone AWOL, and there were about 130 bandit incidents occurring each month. The Mugabe government responded to the abduction with vigour. Over 1,500 troops were sent to track the tourists and their captors, but the search quickly went awry. In a situation report to Parliament, the Minister of Defence, Sidney Sekaramai, asserted that, quote, a successful conclusion to the rescue operation has been and is being hampered by elements of the local population and other 
dissident people, unquote. He added, quote, Highlights of their inhuman and despicable actions included withholding information and giving false information, attempting to obliterate the spore, laying false trails, and giving sanctuary, food and water to the dissidents and hostages secretly, unquote. Mugabe weighed in the next day, telling a packed meeting of Parliament that the abduction was not the act of, quote, an isolated gang of bandits. Dissidents were operating on instructions from ZAPU leaders. Their actions are centrally motivated and are being carried out in order to bring about destabilization of our country, leading to a possible change of government, unquote. He said that ZANU could not allow the technicalities of the law to tie its hands, and some of the measures it would adopt in response would be, quote, extra-legal, unquote. Concluding, he remarked that those, quote, who work against democracy do not deserve democratic treatment. An eye for an eye and an ear for an ear may not be satisfactory in our circumstances because we might very well demand two ears for one ear and two eyes for one eye, unquote. The tourist abduction proved a turning point. While claims that ZAPU leaders had been coordinating dissident activities had been a theme of government rhetoric for some time, the idea that Matabililand's broader population was also part of the conspiracy was new. There had been a few throwaway remarks along those lines before, but allegations that Zapu's Ndebele-speaking supporters were, quote, a dissident people, unquote, now became constant and increasingly hysterical. Indeed, it was an alleged dissident massacre, one preceded by a supposed beer party, between the bandits and the locals, that was later used as a pretext to deploy the Gukurahundi, which immediately began its own retaliatory massacre. The tourist abduction also marked the point at which ZANU militarised the conflict with ZAPU and its supporters. Having disarmed and dismembered Zipra in 1981, the government was no longer faced with a conventional military threat, but the abduction justified a vast expansion of military activity in Matabililand. The creation of mass detention centres in Matabililand North and the growing incidence of human rights violations, including extrajudicial killings, were a direct outcome of the search for the tourist, and it was these events that formed the immediate backdrop to the Gukarahundi's purported counterinsurgency operation in the same area during 1983. Commenting on the army's conduct during the search for the tourists, Mugabe said that his men were responsible for, quote, some acts of indiscipline and even, on occasions, of brutality against the black population of the province but armed forces sometimes had to be forceful in situations where they were getting little cooperation, unquote. His defence of the Gukarahundi's mass killings six months later was the same. 
in a discussion with a group of NGOs, he declared that, quote, The ordinary people are suffering, but the ordinary people are sustainers of dissidents. We sent troops in during 1982, warned of vigorous action if dissident activity continued. And it continued. These dissidents are not operating from the bush, but from people's homes. They are sustained by the ZAPU infrastructure, and the majority of these people are members of the ZAPU infrastructure. If necessary, we have to be harsh. Unquote. But much of the government's propaganda was just that a string of conscious lies that were used to further an existing political agenda. The aftermath of the abduction provides a clear demonstration of that reality. A day after Mugabe addressed Parliament, claiming a definitive link between the incident and the ZAPU leadership, Sekaramai blew his boss's cover in a private discussion with the diplomat, not the last time he was to display what, for the government, was an unfortunate tendency to reveal the true intent behind ZANU's smoke and mirrors. Sekaramai, quote, expressed doubt as to how much influence Nkomo really had in the area of the kidnapping now, unquote, adding that, quote, he could not believe that anyone with ZAPU political connections would have initiated or sanctioned an abduction such as this, unquote. The ZANU-appointed police commissioner, in turn, blew Sekaramai's own cover, giving the same diplomat an overview of the relationship between dissidents and locals that contradicted the minister's situation report and ZANU propaganda at every turn. Quote, Bandits were, often part-timers, operating by night with an AK-47 that was hidden by day. Their own parents were usually unaware of their activities, unquote. And, far from being keen to assist dissidents, quote, people were generally so afraid of the possibility of being shot if they recognised a bandit that they tended to look away when being held up, unquote. Nor did the villagers usually withhold information about dissidents. He said that, although they were, quote, scared to take the initiative to report incidents of banditry. They were, however, prepared to talk to regular patrols of police and give information that was quite useful, unquote. The identity of the abductors remains a mystery to this day, notwithstanding the belated discovery of the tourists' remains in 1985 and the government's flaky claims that it had captured the leader of the gang and one of his accomplices, both of whom were later executed. Yet in broad historical terms, the precise identity of the kidnappers is largely irrelevant. There was no gigantic and cunningly hidden conspiracy between the Zapu leadership, dissidents and the rural inhabitants of Matabililand, as the government well knew. In a moment of indiscreet clarity, similar to Sekaramai's, the Deputy Minister of Home Affairs put it this way in a private conversation 
a month before the tourist incident. Quote, It was nonsense to speak of dissidents being in any way centrally planned. Those involved were hungry and rather desperate young men who were taking to banditry for a variety of reasons. Unquote. That statement was made at a time when the government was already hyping the allegedly clear-cut connection between ZAPU politicians and dissidents. Zimbabwe's early post-independence years should not be represented as a series of predetermined events, planned and controlled from behind the scenes by Mugabe and ZANU-PF. Without doubt, there were many instances where chance, confusion and paranoia played their part. Yet the evidence, much of which has been unavailable until now, demonstrates that many of the key moments were orchestrated or skillfully manipulated by the ruling party. The capacity of Mugabe and his lieutenants to conceive and implement the type of Machiavellian schemes of which they often accused their rivals in the 1980s has all too often been underestimated. When it comes to the narratives dished up by those in power, ancient wisdom applies in Zimbabwe as elsewhere. Proverbs 23 reads, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is put before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. You have been listening to a podcast from the Institute for Continuing History, written and presented by Dr. Stuart Doran. This series, entitled Smooth Lies and Sharp Knives, focuses on the events that led to mass killings in the Matabeleland region of Zimbabwe during 1983 and 1984.